Jacob's Dreams Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bela and the sons... Am I reading the right one? Sorry, I'll start again. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks of his brothers, the son of Bela and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other brothers because he had been born to him in his old age and he made a richly ornamented robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, Listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field, when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and the moon and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father's father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come down and bow down to you, to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in his mind. Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem, Come, I am going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he said to them, Go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks, and bring word back to me. Then he sent him off from the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man, a man found him wandering around the fields and asked him, What are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? They have moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the desert. But don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the richly ornamented robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty, there was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, 
they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded, loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take, take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites, who took him to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, The boy isn't there. Where can I turn now? Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in the blood. They took the ornamented robe back to their father and said, We found this. Examine it to see whether it is your son's robe. He recognized it and said, It is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, in mourning will I go down to the grave to my son. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. <laughs> okay, well, let's, um, let's pray, shall we? Father, we thank you for uh, bringing us together this morning and we really thank you for your word and we pray that we would uh, have a deeper understanding of your word, a clearer understanding, uh, that we would not only see the storyline of the Bible, but we would see the underlying uh, spiritual uh, value for us in terms of your plan and your purpose and how we are a part of that. We pray also for the kids next door, uh, pray that you'd be working in their hearts and really transforming them by the power of your word. And so we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, envy and jealousy. They're, uh, they're two words which we, we often, I think, use in order to, to mean the same thing. But technically, envy and jealousy are different words. They have a different meaning to one another. Let's think about envy for a few moments. Uh, what do we mean by envy? I think we envy someone when that person has something which we want. That's envy. It might be their good looks. It might be their house. It might be the person that they're married to. But they've got something which we want, and that stirs up envy. Jealousy is a little bit different to that. Uh, jealousy is an emotion which we experience when we fear that we might lose something which belongs to us, when we fear that something which belongs to us is slipping away from us. Uh, let me illustrate that. When we talk, when, when a man... Uh, notices or suspects that his wife is having an affair, uh, do we call him an envious husband? No. What do we call him? We call him a 
a jealous husband, don't we? Because something which he possesses, he fears, is slipping away from him. And that's why uh, when uh, God's people uh, are involving themselves in idolatry, the Bible says that God is not an envious God, God is a jealous God, because something which rightly belongs to God is being taken away from him. So envy and jealousy, they're different things, but we often use them almost interchangeably, particularly with jealousy. We often uh, describe something which is envy as being jealousy. Uh, they, they're very similar because they, they have a similar uh, effect on people because both envy and jealousy cause people to, to do some terrible things. Uh, they cause people to plot. They cause people to scheme uh, in order to do things which are unpleasant things, in order to get that thing which they want or to preserve that thing which is theirs. And stories about envy and jealousy are really, um, they're usually popular, aren't they? Because envy and jealousy kind of touches a bit of a nerve with us and that's the stuff of soap operas. That's why people soap operas. Uh, envy, jealousy, throw in a little bit of sex and that's the perfect recipe for a soap opera. Um, it's also a great recipe for an Andrew Lloyd Webber musical, isn't it? Which uh, Peter has, you know, hands up those who've gone and seen Joseph in his amazing Technicolor dream coat. Okay, good. Um, but what does this Joseph really teach us? Uh, what does it teach us about God? What does it teach us about God's work in our world and indeed God's work in us? Uh, is it just a story uh, with a, a moral message, a kind of an anti-envy, anti-jealousy story? Uh, is it a story on bad parenting that causes uh, people to be envious and, jealousy and jealous? Uh, what is it? What's the, how does it help us? Well, we're going to have a look at the story, and if you have your Bibles open on page 28 of your pew Bibles, uh, you'll see it there. And it's the story about the relationship between one of uh, Jacob, or as he's sometimes referred to as Israel, it's the story uh, of the relationship between one of Jacob's sons, his second youngest son, Joseph, and his older brothers, of which there are 10. And it's a story which is jam-packed full of envy and jealousy. Now, if you have a look at the chapter, uh, there are two parts to the chapter, and the NIV has helpfully broken up the parts for us. Uh, in verses 1 through to 11, uh, this is, tells us about what, what caused this envy and jealousy. And the second part, verses 12 through to verse 36, tells us about the net effect of the envy and jealousy, what it actually caused people to do. And so let's have a look at the first part first. What caused this envy and jealousy? Well, as I mentioned, Joseph was Jacob's second youngest son and his older brothers hated his guts. They despised him. We're told three times 
in the first few verses that they hated him. And everything he seemed to do seemed to cause them to hate him even more. In fact, uh, in verse 4, we're told that they hated him so much that not one of them could bring themselves to speak a kind word to him. Now imagine that kind of relationship. Imagine that kind of situation where someone is, where there's that person who is so unpopular at work or so unpopular at school, in the class at school, they're so unpopular in their family, amongst their relatives, they're so unpopular in the street that not even one person can pluck up enough graciousness to go and encourage them, to say something nice to them. Not even one person. Some of you may not have to imagine too hard. You may know of situations like that. And here we see that it's partly because of envy, it's partly because of jealousy. Let's think about the envy side of things. Joseph possessed something which his older brothers wanted. Uh, it wasn't the fancy robe that his father had, had uh, given to him. Uh, what they wanted was the thing which motivated the father to give the fancy robe to him. Um, Favouritism. That's the problem. Joseph uh, was the son who was born to Jacob in his old age. He had that going for him. Uh, Joseph was also the firstborn son of Rachel, who was not a, not a maid servant, not the unpreferred wife, but the most loved wife. And Joseph was the apple of his father's eye. Um, you know what that means, by the way? I discovered the other day that um, Evelyn knows what it means. Uh, the apple... Uh, it's got nothing to do with fruit. It's a, actually a, a mis mistake which comes from a German word which means the pupil in someone's eyes. Uh, Joanne might have known that as well. So it's the centre of the eye. There you go. Uh, Joseph was the apple of his father's eye. He was the favourite son. And the problem with that, with that is that uh, the other brothers clearly noticed it. Now I wonder how you would feel. I mean, some of us here probably do know it, what it feels like to be not the most preferred child in the family. Uh, you know what it means, you know how it feels to have that underlying sense that the parents always gravitate towards the other uh, brother or the other sister. And you know what it feels like to, 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 to actually want to crave after that same status in relationship. Uh, you know about the envy and the fracturing of relationships as we crave for the parents' affection. Now that, of course, is something which parents have to take responsibility for. Uh, like Jacob. I mean, Jacob didn't do a great job. Uh, by giving a fancy robe to Joseph, Jacob was uh, sending out a very clear statement, it was a very obvious statement that this son is my preferred son, he's my favourite. And that was a crazy thing to do because Joseph 
had already become a stench in the nostrils of some of his brothers. Um, you said in verse 2, uh, in verse 2, uh, Jacob had teamed up Joseph with uh, some of his sons, who were the sons of Bilhah, uh, in order to go out and shepherd some sheep. Now, it sounds like Joseph had a bit of an attitude towards these half-brothers of his. Um, they were older than him. Uh, their mother was not the number one wife. Uh, their mother was one of the maid servants. And he's working with them. But what does this teenager do? He goes back to dad and it says that he gave a bad report about his brothers. Now, you know, how to win friends and influence people. <laughs> uh, he dobbed them in. Now, we don't know if he dobbed them in for something which they were indeed wrongly doing or if he dobbed them in over something that he'd made up. That doesn't matter. The bottom line is that he wasn't their favourite brother as a result of this. And so they hate him. And it therefore doesn't help when Jabed goes and wraps this expensive robe around Joseph. They envy Joseph because they want what he's got, the affection of the father. But they're also jealous of him. Uh, in verses 5 through to 10, Joseph has some amazing dreams. Uh, dreams which he was foolish enough to go and tell everybody about. In the first dream, uh, it was harvest time and he and his brothers were binding sheaves together out in the fields and suddenly his sheaf stood up and all of the other sheaves bowed down to his sheaf. Now, in the ancient world, dreams were often seen as being prophecies about things which would happen in the future. Um, sometimes God used dreams in order to, uh, to, to make a prophetic message. Uh, indeed, <clears throat> later on in Genesis, we'll see how it was that one day the brothers of Joseph did in fact bow down to him. But here... Joseph's brothers did not need some kind of a manual on how to interpret dreams in order to understand what this was all about. They saw it as a claim by Joseph that amongst all of the brothers, that even though he was second last in line for the blessing of his father, that he would be the one who would receive the blessing. That he would be the one who one day would head up the family that he would take that which actually belonged to one of them. Now, it's a bit interesting as to which one actually got the father's blessing uh, ultimately because uh, Reuben, the firstborn, he got in the father's bad books because he, uh, well, he hopped in the sack with uh, one of Jacob's concubines. That didn't go down too well. Uh, the, two, the second and third sons, they were the ones who massacred the men of Shechem. Uh, jo uh, Jacob wasn't impressed with that either. So as to which one actually would get the blessing is not yet known, but what they interpret is that Joseph is saying, well, I'm going to get it, boys, even though I'm the second youngest in the family. 
And so they're jealous of that because they see that something which does not belong to him, uh, that, uh, that, that they are going to lose something which belongs to them. And so in verse 8, they just hated him even more. Now, I reckon it would have been smart of him if he'd kept his dream to himself, don't you? But no, I mean, Joseph's, you know, 17. He's all wise and, you know, all smart. And <coughs> apologies to the 17-year-olds in the back row, back, back row there. <laughs> Joseph says, ah, you know, I'll go and tell him about another dream that I had. <coughs> and uh, this time, it's, he was in the centre and he's surrounded by the sun and the moon and, and 11 stars. And the sun and the moon and 11 stars all bow down to Joseph. Now, what do you reckon? Just a tad self-centred, perhaps? <laughs> Just a tad? Even his own dad saw the problem with this because it sounded like one day that the whole family, even Jacob himself, would bow down to Joseph. And so there's envy. As the brothers uh, crave the affection of the father, but there's also this jealousy as they saw his desire to take the blessing which belonged to one of them. Now, sometimes it's helpful if someone who is arrogant and self-centred gets cut down a notch or two. Don't you agree with that? Uh, And sometimes we see how God does it in our own lives. Sometimes we pray that he might do it in someone else's life. Uh, Last week we saw how over a 20-year period that God had done that in the life of Jacob. But Jacob's sons, they're not interested in waiting around for God to do something about their precocious 17-year-old brother. Uh, They they want to take things in their own hands and uh, they're going to do away with Joseph themselves. And so we come to the second part of the chapter. In verse 12, the the brothers had gone to graze some sheep near Shechem. Now that's important that it was near Shechem because Shechem, of course, was that place where two of the brothers had butchered the entire male population after they were recovering from having been circumcised. And so Shechem's a, a fair way away from, uh, from where Jacob is. It's about 70 kilometres, uh, but that's about 80 kilometres, rather, from home. And so it's a fairly isolated area in terms of uh, distance from Jacob. And so Jacob sent his favourite son to go and check on things and to report back and to tell him how things are going. Now, it may be that Jacob is... Uh, a bit anxious about the welfare of his sons. After all, uh, his family is not all that popular around the Shechem area. But nevertheless, um, Joseph gets sent out. He finds that he's actually, uh, that they've moved on, they're a bit further away, but eventually he gets to within, uh, within sight of his brothers and they spotted him. They spotted him. They would have seen this familiar ornamented robe and the person who was wearing it. And as they saw him in the distance, their envy and their jealousy boiled over 
to murderous intent as they hatched a plot to kill Joseph. Now, let's pick it up at verse 19, shall we? In verse 19, <clears throat> here's what they said. They said, here, come, here comes that dreamer. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns, like a well, and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. And then we'll see what comes of his dreams. See what they're interested in? They don't want his dreams to come true. They don't want it ever to be the case that they would bow down to him. Now, it turns out that Joseph had a degree of uh, support from his oldest brother, Reuben. Uh, Reuben, we're told, persuaded the other brothers not to kill Joseph, but instead just to throw him into the, into the dry cistern and uh, leave him there to die uh, you know, on his own. Now, Reuben's intent was that uh, later on he would come back and he would rescue Joseph and take him back home to Dad. Now, what would have been Reuben's motivation? You think it would have been love? What about um, conscience, perhaps? Uh, maybe Reuben is thinking of himself. Maybe Reuben is thinking that he's already in his father's bad books for hopping in the sack with his concubine. And maybe, just maybe, by doing this uh, saving act, uh, he might be able to score some points with his father. We don't know, but uh, uh, that's a possibility. Whatever his motivation, in verses 23 through to 35, uh, the brothers, when Joseph came, they, uh, they apprehended Joseph, they stripped off his ornamented robe and they tossed him down the well. It was a callous thing to do. In fact, many years later, in Genesis chapter 42, when the brothers are talking amongst themselves and reflecting on what they did, they reminded each other and they said, remember, remember how distressed Joseph was. Remember how he cried out, uh, begging for his life. And they might have also said, remember how while he was going through that, that we sat around and just ate our lunch. Because that's what they did. It's callous, it's treacherous, it's ruthless, it's the fruit of their envy and their jealousy. But it didn't end there. Uh, in verse 25, Reuben had wandered off when a merchant caravan of, of camels carrying, uh, carrying exports from the east, carrying uh, 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 spices and, and balm from Gilead. Gilead in the northeast was famous for its balms. Uh, they're carrying uh, spices and balms and, and myrrh as well. This caravan approaches and this presents a great opportunity. It's a great opportunity to actually profit from what they're doing and sell their brother as just another export from the east. To sell him as a slave to be sold again in the markets of Egypt. 
Um, silver, weighing 20 shekels, was the going rate for a male slave between the age of 5 and 20. Uh, they sold him for 20 shekels of silver. To put that in perspective, the annual wage for a shepherd was 8 shekels of silver. So it's a nice, tidy profit. This was a great opportunity because they could vent their hatred towards Joseph. They could ensure that they never had to bow down to him and they could make a bit of cash on the side as well. And all of this without any blood on their hands. Except, except for the blood of a goat uh, into which they dipped the, the robe of Joseph and through that, the blood of the goat and the robe, they then managed to deceive their father into believing that the son he loved the most was no more. And so Jacob, uh, the old man who many years earlier had deceived his own father Isaac with a goat and, and, and clothing, now finds himself being deceived in the same way by his own sons. That's the story, friends. Now, what are we to make of it? I mean, is it more than just a you know, story about a spoiled brat that got what was coming to him? Uh, is it more than just a story about the fruits of bad parenting? What are we to make of Genesis chapter 37? Let me see, say that there's a couple of clues in the passage itself. Uh, would you go back to the very beginning, to verse 2, where it says that this is the account of Joseph. Do you see that? No, you don't see that because that's not what it says, is it? It says this is the account of Jacob. We might expect that it would be the account of Joseph, but it, no, it says this is the account of Jacob. And I take it that what that means is that what the author is saying to us is that this story and what follows uh, is actually the story of the whole family. You see, in the very next passage in chapter 38, which Peter will be preaching for us next Sunday, uh, you might expect it to continue with the story of Joseph, but it, no, it's got nothing to do with Joseph. Uh, next, next week it's all about Judah, one of the sons, and his relationship with a woman by the name of Tamar. Uh, now, the reason why it says that it's, a, it's, the, it's the account of Jacob is because the author is telling us this is about the family of Jacob. This is about the patriarch uh, with his 12 sons. This is the story of what will happen to them. Now, so we've looked at the very beginning of the chapter. Let's go to the very end of the chapter because at the very end of the chapter, there's another clue. You see the last verse, verse 36. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. See, the stage is now set. Joseph uh, is now sold into Egypt but he's sold uh, not just to any ordinary person but to someone who is a high-ranking official 
under the Pharaoh of Egypt himself. And so what this does is it's, it's beginning to tell, tell us a story. It's beginning to tell us a story about, about these 12 sons uh, living in Canaan, which is the land that uh, God had promised to Abraham. You see that in verse 1, don't you? Have a look at verse 1. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. So it's a story about these 12 sons who are living in the promised land, in the land of Canaan. They're the descendants of Abraham. And it begins to tell the story of how these 12 sons then became 12 tribes living not in Canaan but living in Egypt, which was the necessary condition for the great salvation event of the Old Testament, the exodus from Egypt. The stage is now set uh, for a new chapter in the life of Joseph and for a great saving work of God, as God would one day miraculously rescue his people out of slavery in Egypt and into the freedom of the promised land as a foreshadowing, as a preview of the greatest salvation ever, and that is the saving work of Christ, who on the cross has saved us from slavery to sin and brought us into the kingdom of God with the hope of heavenly uh, life for all of eternity. And so envy, jealousy and deceit, the three ingredients in this passage. And on the surface it appears to be, yep, uh, a pretty messy and interesting soap opera. But below the surface, God was very, very much at work. Now, that's always the case, isn't it? Because God is very powerful. And it's always the case, uh, you know, amidst the, the turmoils and the problems and the distress that exists in the world and the turmoils and difficulties in our own lives, that God is nevertheless at work, God is... Is sovereign, God is bringing about his plan and purpose. Because in his wisdom, despite the best efforts of the evil one, God works in us. God works through us. God works against us in order to achieve his good purposes for us. See how that works? It's under the surface all the time. I mean, the crucifixion of Jesus is the greatest example of that. The crucifixion of Jesus was a, the most despicable, evil act perpetrated by men. But God used that for the ultimate blessing of men. Now, in the story before us, uh, many years would elapse. But there would come a time when Jacob's family living in Canaan would become desperate for help as famine swept across that part of the world. And in their desperation for help, they travelled to Egypt where they met a helper. 
in the person of their brother. It was a very much changed Joseph who was able to extend the hand of mercy and forgiveness. It was a very much changed Joseph who had the spiritual insight to understand what had happened to him. It was a very much changed Joseph who face to face with these sinful brothers had the spiritual insight, the understanding of God and the wisdom to say to them, don't worry about what you did to me. Don't worry about what you did to me. I forgive you. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. As Joseph was able to help them with the food that was so necessary for them. Friends, our God is like that. He works in us, through us, sometimes against us, in order to achieve his good purposes for us. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for your sovereignty. We thank you that you are all wise that you are all powerful, that you are all loving. And we thank you that in the uh, story before us now, we see how the evil behaviour of men was used by you to bring about something which was good. We pray for ourselves that we would have that same assurance that uh, in all things that you work for the good of those who love you. We thank you for the assurance that we have that is based on that great work of Christ on the cross. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.